This is the Australian Hunting Podcast, hunting, shooting and fishing radio on the AHP Digital Radio Network. Visit us at australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. Sit back, relax and enjoy. Here's the host of the show, Jason Selms. Welcome back to AHP. Thank you for joining me on the Australia Australian Hunting Podcast, hunting, shooting, and fishing radio. Just want to thank all you guys for joining me here on the show. I want to thank, of course, again, as usual, all my Patreon supporters. I've had uh, quite a number of new ones come on in the last couple of weeks, so I really really wanted to thank you guys very much. Of course, to my older Patreon supporters that have been there since the beginning, thank you very much too, because I couldn't do what I do without you guys supporting me and throwing a bit of cash my way. I do appreciate it. You know, if you want to join on Patreon, go to patreon.com forward slash AHP and you can get all shows uh, in advance of general listenership, normally up to about a week before I actually release them. So, of course, if you think the content's worthwhile, join us on Patreon. I'd really, really appreciate that. Also, I wanted to talk about, I'm getting a lot of emails about straight shooting. Yes, guys, it is coming. There's lots to talk about. I'm just trying to find a time. Uh, to organize it and uh, make sure we've got all the correct content and all the correct media interviews that I want to play on the show. I'm sure we've got more than enough media stuff and information that we could probably use for about 30 shows. But to be brutally honest with you, I got sick of the politics stuff after the election, the things that I was hearing, which I've mentioned in previous shows. So I decided just to give it a wide berth at the moment. And I've been crossing pretty much every ocean uh, to different countries around the world to interview different hunters, shooters, and fishers. Got another guy coming up from the UK, and hopefully got another guy from South Africa and coming coming up soon. And of course, more Australian people appearing on the Australian Hunting Podcast. Going on from that, today's guest is Brody Hewitt. He's a young shooter from Queensland, and he's a tremendous clay target shooter, good hunter. And when I mean good clay target shooter, when I often hear him on see him on Instagram, you know he's often shooting 48, 49, or 50 out of 50 targets. An absolute gun on the shotgun and I consider myself pretty handy with a shotgun unfortunately I don't get to use the shotgun as much as I'd like to and get out and shoot clay targets so that's something uh, that I want to aspire to over the next say six months is to get out and get more clay target shooting done of course he also fishes and hunts he's got a mad four-wheel drive as well so I'm glad to be able to get him on the show today to have a chat about uh, what he likes to do what he likes to hunt uh, and what he enjoys about the shooting sports so we'll bring him on the show now all right Brody Hewitt welcome to HP, man thanks for joining me on the show to have a chat about uh, your hunting shooting and fishing activities so thanks for joining me yeah, no, thanks for that, mate. Be good to be here. No worries, man. Tell us about yourself. You're from Roma, Queensland. So I guess tell us about yourself and, and sort of how you got into the shooting sports. Yeah, so I'm 20 years old, so only a young and in the sports in most eyes, I suppose. Um, fourth, fifth generation shooter, as far as I know, in the family. Um, been doing it for as long as I can remember back to my youngest days. Um, you know, in the car with Dab or out shooting or pop. And, um, yeah, it's just something I've always done, always loved, and I'll probably never stop doing. Yeah, fantastic. When you were growing up, mate, did you grow up on farm or did you grow up in you know a rural area for people that may not be familiar with sort of Roma, Queensland? Uh, sort of mix. Well, my dad and my mum split when we were early, so I lived with my mum in Warwick, Queensland. But um, my grandfather, he also hunted down there, so I got to do plenty there. And then I've moved out here since then, and I just live and breathe it with me old man. That's all we do on the weekends. <laughs> Sounds like a pretty good life then, mate. That's for sure, eh? Yeah, no, it definitely is. <laughs> so when you were growing up, tell us about that experience. I mean, with your dad, you know, what sort of what sort of hunting were you doing? What sort of shooting were you doing? Were you fishing? Were you more hunting? Were you more doing, you know, disciplines, clay targets, which obviously you're good at. We'll talk about a bit later. But give us a bit of that history, mate, about you growing up and what that was like. Well, sort of in my earliest days, I did a lot of fishing with my grandfather. Um, he got me into that side of things, lots of yellow belly fishing and cod fishing around Warwick area. Um, he also really, he sort of started me off with the shooting as well. Had an old 222 Winchester Model 70. Um, I'd done a lot of dingo stalking when I was really young by myself in some hilly country we had there. Um, so I learned the basics, I suppose, of rifle shooting there. And then um, my dad sort of really took me under his ring as I got older and we went out, done lots of roo shooting, pig chasing, all that sort of stuff. And, um, yeah, from there on we do – I go pigging probably every weekend now and um, he's roo shooting for the box, so we do that professionally. Um, yeah, clay shooting as well. I do that whenever there's a competition 
on and I can get to it, really. Like, work's pretty busy at the moment, so yeah, it's just finding time and money at the moment. So what sort of work do you do in, up in uh, Queensland? Uh, so I'm a qualified baker pastry chef. I finished my apprenticeship early last year, and um, so, yeah, that keeps me pretty busy working the night shift on that. But um, to a degree, I suppose it works out for me because a lot of my hunting's done during the night, like spotlighting and stuff like that. So on my days off, I'm already accustomed to it and I can go all night, no worries at all. <laughs> nice work. When you were growing up with your, your dad, did you have any brothers or sisters that are in, into it too? Or? Um, so I've got one brother who's 17 and he hasn't shown much interest in it at all. But I've currently got a, oh, I think he's eight, eight-year-old brother, and he's just like me, lives and breathes it, just loves it, comes out whenever he can. So what do you, do you and your other brother give your third brother a bit of a ribbing about not wanting to get into it, or what, what happens at oh, home? <laughs> we try to, but he's pretty good on the motorbike, so he rubs it in our face as well, because we're both not that great at that sort of stuff. So. <laughs> Mate, what are the, talk? I want to talk about, when you were growing up, you said pigging. What sort of a shooting? Were you more just, you know, chasing them around and, and doing that? Or what was your sort of, you know, what were you sort of doing in regards to hunting pigs? So with the pigging, as a lot of people would know out here, southwest Queensland, all over Australia now, they're a major problem. Um, so we pretty much resulted to any efforts that were the most effective at the time in the country while we were hunting to eradicate them, um, mainly using dogs, um, lugging dogs for, you know, finding them pulling them up and we'd get there and, and put them down. Um, but when needed, traps were put in place and we always carried a rifle with us on any property we were at because any dead pig's a good pig. When you were growing up, talk, talk to us through some, I guess the firearms. Would, obviously, your dad would have to own them. And obviously, when you were old enough, what was your sort of first rifle that you were able to shoot and uh, that he, I guess he would have bought for you or you bought for yourself, whichever one? Um, so sort of when I was growing up, always learnt on the slug gun, the 22, as you teach nearly any kid on. Um, I was actually a lot older than a lot of kids are these days, I suppose, before I started shooting centerfires. I think I was about 16 or 17. And I know lots of kids with their juniors license shooting the bow eight stuff like that as soon as they get it. Um, <laughs> yeah. But that, that just wasn't really a necessity to me. The 22, the slug gun, they were doing the job for what I needed. Um, at the time, any pigs that were needed to be shot, my dad was doing that because I was generally with the dogs. Um, then when I did finally get my open licence, um, my first rifle I bought, I believe, was a Seiko 85 270. Um, so for ages, I just knew Seiko was a quality brand. I looked at them. I'd done all the research, lived and breathed firearms. Um, so I figured... If I'm going to buy something, I'm going to buy something really nice and keep it forever. And um, I sold that gun two years later. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we all thought. Thinking myself, actually, it's interesting. I don't – no, I don't actually. I remember, yeah, the, I think about – probably about 12 years ago is probably when I really got back into it, you know, from not doing much when I was sort of a youngster getting, you know, sort of until my sort of mid to late 20s. But I think, yeah, you're right too. I sold one of my last rifles that I originally had at that first purchase sale. I think I had a, a Ticker 223 and a – was it a Model 10 Grade 1 Miracu? I think Miracu, um, 12, oh, yeah. 12 gauge. But, yeah, I don't have any of those from my original stash of first purchase firearms. So it's interesting, yep. eh, how our tastes sort of change and we always want something newer and better, isn't it? Mm, yeah, no, for sure. Um, I've always stuck with Seiko pretty much from the word go. Um, after that, I bought myself an 85 Varmint 223. Um, they're just one of their own, really. I mean, yeah, they got a price tag to them, but if you want a firearm that's really nice and built to do the job, Seiko's the way to go. Tickers, again, fantastic. I own many tickers. Um, but Seiko, they just have that finish, and there's something about them. Yeah. They're just really, really nice. Mate, it seems to be how many firearms you've purchased. Looks like I'm in the wrong business. I've got to get into the pastry chef business, it sounds like, <laughs> by the sounds of it, if you're purchasing uh, all these bloody Seiko rifles. I mean... Uh, well, yeah, as I said, it's just it's what I live and breathe. So there's not... My money doesn't really go anywhere else. I mean, I'm a 20-year-old bloke, and most people my age these days, they're out drinking, partying, you know, spending their money on that stuff. And I actually... I don't think I've touched the grog this year. Um, it's just not something I've ever looked into. Shooting's always been what's taken up my time and 
what my passion's for, so I'd rather, you know, put my money into that and get something out of it, you know. Speaking about that, what about your mates up there in Roma? What's the, I guess, hunting, shooting and fishing culture like in Roma? Is it easy to find, you know, other people to hang out with and stuff like that when you're shooting activities or is it more just, again, with your family members still? Um, Rome is the sort of place where, you know, everyone's born and bred. They're in the bushy. Um, lots of them, lots of the young blokes and even girls out here um, grew up shooting, hunting, pigging, you fishing, you name it, they've done it really. Um, personally, I tend to stick to myself and family. It's just how I've always been. If I go shooting, I like to be by myself. It's my time or I'm with family, spending family time. Um if I ever wanted to go out with someone, I'm sure in the blink of an eye, I could find a mate that would go, yeah, for sure, I'll come with you. Or, you know, we'd organise a trip. But um, that's just not my kind of thing. I'm just happy to go out there, you know, enjoy the bush as it is and be by myself. So when you're sort of hunting, how far, like example, is you want to pick up a rifle and go hunting, how far away from your house is the nearest place that you can sort of go shooting? Something that's not a range if you want to get on property, how far is it for you? Uh, it's my old man's property where I live. Oh, shit. Well, then there you go. So basically just walk out the front door, eh? Uh, I'm so jealous, man, you bastard, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, we got – my old man's got nearly 2,000 acres there, and I think we got 20,000 acres of the neighbours that I'm allowed on, and then more property at Mitchell and, yeah, some at Charleville. Nice. So speaking so, of that on the property, what sort of – is it a good productive property for animals, or is it more just, you know, you've got to sort of look at other – you know, alternative properties for more species or have you got a, a good sort of you know, game head on the property? Um, well, mainly because we have crop there or well, try to have crop there all year round pending on the rainfall. Um, we've tried to keep on top of the feral species like, you know, your pigs, all that sort of stuff. So they don't tend to come through our place a lot. But um, through the neighbours, which, you know, there's a couple K up the road, if that, there's pigs are plentiful, they're everywhere. Um, as I was saying, with the roo shooting we're doing for the box, roos everywhere. As many people would know, they're just in plague proportions at the moment. Um, goats have really dwindled out here, in my area anyway, in the past five years or so. You know, I used to drive around see feral goats all the time, but I think since they've gone up so much for meat, everybody's been trying to, you know, trap them and sell them. So numbers have gone down a bit in my area anyway. <laughs> The new Zeiss Conquest V4 line of high-performance rifle scopes combines tried-and-true Zeiss optics with a rugged and functional design, providing high-definition glass. Enhanced with T-Star and low-to-tech protective lens coatings produces 90% to the eye-light transmission. This means excellent low-light performance and resolution across the entire magnification range. Zeiss Conquest V4 rifle scopes were designed as a lightweight, high-performance scope for demanding hunting and shooting applications. Visit O. USAAustralia.com.au to find your local dealer. Zeiss, we make it visible. It's interesting you were talking about the pig patterns as well, and I have heard that. It's interesting how you'll go to different areas close by. The pigs are still there. I wonder if they know there's a bunch of Seiko 85s on patrol all the, all the time in your property. Um, I'd say it's probably <laughs> um, a definite reason for that, yeah. Um, another thing is we actually we deal with quite a few poachers out our way, um, and, you know, there's not a lot you can do about it unless the police are the ones that catch them, unfortunately. Um, so that does tend to mess with, you know, where they are, what they're doing, their times and that. But um, there's still plenty getting around. I mean, because there is a lot of public roads going through our place, unfortunately, there's always the one bloke that's got to do the wrong thing. Speaking of that, how often do you get that? Have you had any experiences or anything? You know, no names, obviously, and all that, but anything you'd like to share? Like, have you had any experiences where you've heard gunshots or you've happened to find someone on your property and what sort of happens in that situation? Um, well, going back to probably when I was probably 14, 15, I think, we used to get a lot of people come like walking into our property a few K to go fishing. And um, like, you know, at the end of the day, we don't really mind that, but it's the fact that they were coming along, bringing all their rubbish and leaving it there. And we got cattle in those paddocks that were eating the plastic, getting sick and possibly dying. Um, but, you know, if you want to go fishing, go fishing, go for it. But clean up after yourself and do that. And the shooting, on the other hand, well, that's a different story because, you know, you've got possibilities of cattle being hurt through shooting, bullets going in the wrong direction for people not knowing where they are or what they're doing. And um, just the pure fact of you don't know them. 
you don't know their background, you don't know who they are, what they're doing there. Um, and it's as I said, it's a real shame to the shooting community because it affects the rest of us that are trying to do the right thing. Speaking of that, how did you know you were like, how did you know they were on property just because you started finding the rubbish when you were down in those areas, or how did you eventually know they were obviously catching them on the property fishing? But you know, was it first finding rubbish, then going, well, hang on, people might have been here, or? Well, the first thing, I've actually got myself a big fire pit that I built down there and I had heaps of timber and my timber was going missing and I thought, what's going on here? And then sure enough, rubbish was appearing and then one day I run into a big group of about seven or eight people that were down there having a good old time. And <laughs> right. um, unfortunately, you know, things happened. I had to get them to leave and there was a bit of an argument there, but that's another story. Yeah, and yeah. Um, for the hunting thing, it's, again, they weren't just running the back roads. They were starting to drive onto not my property but the properties that we were hunting on, and that's a major concern for us because if the property owner doesn't know that those poachers are there and something goes wrong, then, of course, the first blame is going to come straight back onto the people that he's allowed on there. The Australian Hunting Podcast is the only hunting, shooting and fishing podcast radio show in Australia. With over 40,000 downloads per month, you are sure to find some information that can help you. If you love hunting, shooting, fishing and a little bit of politics, the Australian Hunting Podcast has you covered. To listen, check us out on iTunes and visit australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. How much, how often have you experienced people sort of doing, not doing the wrong thing, but, you know, legally going on land and fishing? Has it happened a fair bit on your property? Um, Currently in the last... Oh, probably the last two years, the fishing's definitely gone. They don't do that anymore. There's other places to go. Um, however, like the poaching, the spotlighting, the hunting, that, that's been a major issue lately. Um, I think with this drought, the pig numbers have dwindled. So wherever there's pigs, a lot of people are going, oh, well, there's pigs here walking across the main road. I'll go see if I can get one. And, um, but of course, at the end of the day, well, the temptation is just too good to go into the property where they're going as well. So, yeah. and we have, I've had run-ins with people, not that I've, oh, not that I've come face to face with them, but, you know, I can see them on the other side of the paddock and by the time I get there, they're gone, unfortunately. But it's crazy that people are honestly just so brazen that they turn up at a property and, you know, sort of start shooting. It's just crazy. I can't even imagine that. Like, you know, you'd be so paranoid that you're going to get caught. I mean, you know, I just, I, I just couldn't do it. I physically couldn't do it because, you know, like if someone's got access to a property, you know, maybe next to yours and he's got access and somehow he you know, wanders onto your property for some reason, yeah, maybe you might be able to understand that and say, oh, you know, Joe Blow Johnny, you know, I've got access on his property. Honestly, I didn't, you know, it was dark. I didn't know I was driving on your property perhaps, you know. You might sort of believe that and you might say, well, yeah, okay, if he's on Steve's next door. Well, that's you know, it's yeah. You, know, you just tell him this is where the boundaries are and explain yourself. And there's probably no problem. But when they've got no access at all, just turning up on back streets around people's properties. Yeah. Geez, they're game, yeah. aren't they? They're game. Very, very game. And um, as I've said and repeat myself again, it's it's a shame because it makes the rest of us look bad. Um, because that's how the shooting and hunter community seems to be looked at these days. We're looked at as a whole. They're not just sort of going right. This person here is doing wrong. We're going to punish them. We're going to punish the whole group of them, even though 99% of them are good blokes that are doing a good thing. And it, it kind of sucks because it's a self-fulfilling prophecy in a way because, you know, and you put, it's interesting because when this happens, you're probably not being a farmer and having, or farmer having, you know, farm there to uh, your own property. When these things happen, normally farmers will shut down from people going onto their property, which then, you know, sort of propagates it more because then people say, well, I can't get access anyway. So what other option is there than to, than to, you know, start poaching, you know, so the whole thing just sucks all around for everybody, really. It really does. It just becomes a big circular system that just creates a heap of turbulence that's really no good for anyone at all. Tell me some of the pros about being a, a hunter and shooter man and a fisher. What do you reckon? What's so good about it? Oh, yeah, outdoors. These people in the cities that don't go out in the bush, they don't know what they're missing. Um, it's just fantastic. I mean, we are in drought at the moment, so it's not looking its best. But, um, you know, just to get out there and just to spend time in the Aussie outback, it's it's something pretty. There's some pretty good sights out there, and it's, yeah, it's unreal to see some of oh, your home country. So Totally agree, man. What about some of the other than poaching, because we just spoke about that, what are some of the cons, do you think, of being a hunter, shooter, or fisherman? What's bad about it? 
Um, honestly, I can't really think of too many cons because oh, I suppose other people's opinions that are bad, I don't really listen to them. Um, if you've got a bad opinion about me, you don't like me because I'm a hunter, you don't like me because I'm a fisher, good on you. That's It's your problem. It's not really mine. Um, I'm doing here what I love and I'm happy. If, if you don't like it, well, too bad. It's not affecting you. So, um, but yeah, I, I mean, the shooting part, I suppose there is a downfall there. I remember I went to Toowoomba one, one weekend for, oh, I can't remember what I was doing there, but I went into a shop and I was wearing, I think it was my Queensland representative shirt. And she said, oh, what did you make it in for Queensland for? I said, oh, you know, I'm a clay target shooter. And I'm, you know, representing my state at this such and such. And the um, look and tone in her voice that I got after that was just terrific. It was as if I was a mass murderer. It's crazy how that happens, isn't it? I, I, I mean, I'm in Sydney, so it's probably a lot worse, I think, for me where I'm from. I mean, I'm not sure. What's the attitude in saying that? What's the reactions from people generally when you say you're a hunter and shooter? Or what about, I mean, you're young, obviously 20, you know, you're you know, I presume you're going to be, you might want a girlfriend or you have got a girlfriend, I don't know, but the beautiful girls of Roma, Queensland, what, what, what do they think when they find out, um, you know, you, you're, a, you're a hunter and shooter, you know, what do they normally think or, you know, whatever you know, sort of uh, person you're interested in, male or female, I don't know, I'm just saying, I don't want to say you like it just in case, you know, but, you know, if your significant other finds out that you're a hunter and shooter or, you know, prospective person, what do you normally say sort of thing? What do, you, what do they normally say to you? Oh, well, here in Rome, it's a pretty well accepted thing, I suppose. You know, everybody, every man and his dog's grown up to have at least held a gun and shot a gun sometime in his life. Um, it's pretty normal to hear it spoken about in the community out here. Um, normally, when I'm talking to people, it's something that I bring up. They know about me pretty quickly. I'm happy to admit it. I'm happy to own up that I'm a hunter. I love it. Um, and if they don't accept it, well, that's fine by me. That's not my problem again. Um, and if they do accept it and they enjoy it too, well, that's fantastic then. What's the sort of, um, you know, out near Roma, I'm just looking at it now, it looks pretty much, from, yeah, I wouldn't say north, sort of west of Brisbane. How far is it to Brisbane? Uh, six hours, if I remember correctly. Okay, yeah. So I guess you don't travel to Brisbane all that often, do you? No. Uh, I think the last time I was in Brisbane was four years ago. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm just looking at Google Maps now. Man, it looks... It doesn't look that big, dude. I'm seeing Roma Airport. I've turned on the satellite now, and, man, it looks pretty dry out that way. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's not a huge town. Um, it's one of the bigger ones out this way. But, um, oh, yeah, no, the drought has hit us really hard this year. It's shocking. Yeah, I'm looking at it now. The race course, you've even got your own race course. Nice. Yeah, the Roma Cup's a pretty big one. <laughs> yeah. So what about when yeah. you're doing competitions? You were talking about you know, clay targets, I guess. How did you get into clay targets? And being from Roma, how do you able to get to these competitions? Is there competitions in Roma? Do you have to travel? What's the situation? Um, so clay target shooting, again, was through my dad. Um, pretty much the day off, previous to getting my junior firearms licence, I was in the backyard with him shooting clays with a 12-gauge. Um, and then as soon as I turned 11, I got my firearms licence, joined the Roma Gun Club, and, um, well, yeah, it's all history from there, really. I started shooting, got better at it as you go. Um, yeah, the Roma Gun Club, you may not believe it, but we're actually the second biggest club in Australia, only second to Wagga Wagga. Um, wow, really? We held the national titles here this year. Um, there's oh, there's clubs. Charleville has a club, Springshaw, Chinchilla, St. George, Gundawindi. There's plenty of clubs out this way to get to if I want to. And um, I'll travel to Wagga Wagga every year for the national titles. Um, so, yeah, no, I'm pretty pretty dedicated to me clay target shooting. So what have you won, man? Tell us about some of your accomplishments in clay target shooting. Um, probably my first notable accomplishment would be when I made the junior Queensland team. Um, I think I was 16 at the time, I believe. Um, then went down to Wagga Wagga to represent Queensland. Unfortunately, our team, we didn't do that well. Um, then made it for a second year in a row. Um, that year I also qualified for the top 15 open team. Um, but I was still a junior, so I just went with that. Um, just recently, probably one of my biggest accomplishments would be we've got zones. So like your football before your state teams, 
you got your little zone representative teams. Um, I was the overall winner for the weekend there out of all the events, and I came out the open team captain. Nice. So, what, yeah, that was that was pretty good one for me, I suppose. What discipline do you shoot when you're shooting clay targets? Do you shoot them all, or you got one specific? Um, mainly trap, um, just because that's pretty much what everybody out here shoots. Um, Roma also has skeet, so I shoot a little bit of skeet here and there. Definitely not mm. any good at skeet, I'll admit that. Um, <laughs> what about the five stand? That's my favourite. I love the field and game or the five stand. That's my favourite. I've only ever had one chance at shooting five, span, five stand, um, just because it's not really shot out this way much. And one day they asked to have it in Roma, so we had it. And I had an absolute hell of a time. Yeah. No, I, I really didn't shoot that, that well. Being a having being a trap shooter and having my right uh, shotgun set up for trap shooting, um, everyone sort of laughed at me as to the way I was doing it. But I was having a great old time. I didn't really care for how many I hit or miss. Yeah, it's the same as me though. If I tried, you know, shooting trap, I'd probably, you know, I guarantee I'd probably suck at it. But you know, it's interesting when probably you see both guys from both sides. I've seen some trap shooters or skeet shooters come down to. You know, sort of spawning clays. You know, if you, it depends on which ground you're on, and you know the the, the right elbows up. And I'm like, oh, I don't know if this is going to go well for this guy. You know, and then you know, misses like, oh, this sucks. And I go, man, just give it some time. Like it's a totally different technique. It's gunned down. You know, it depends on a lot of different things, man. Like it's you know, a lot of guys love what they love, but the thing I like about it is, you know, as you know, clay targets unless you're sponsored is really not that cheap. You know, you add a box of ammo and around and 25 rounds of clay targets, you're up to a, you know a lot of money you know and if you have three or four five rounds for the day you're easily up over a hundred dollars and i like that it's constantly changing you know you can move targets make them quicker slower have them coming into you straight up in the air over your shoulder through trees you name it you can pretty much do it where i guess some of the other disciplines are a bit i guess they get a bit robotic you might say yeah i suppose you could say that um i definitely noticed while shooting the sporting I found it hard to concentrate in a way as I was too busy laughing at myself missing the targets because I knew what I was doing wrong, but I just had no hope of hitting them. Um, but then you go to the skeet and the trap, and I suppose, yeah, robotics probably a good way to put it because you're doing exactly the same thing every time, and if you don't, you're going to miss. Um, whereas you're sporting, I suppose, yeah, you still got to do the same thing every time, but the focus is different if you understand what I'm, what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like, yeah, there's a few different things you got to do for your sporting with your gun mount being gunned down, all that sort of stuff. And, um, yeah, each to their own, but yeah, traps always going to be my discipline. It's just what I've always loved. Renowned for their strength, reliability, and attention to detail. Moroku shotguns are the perfect example of what a sporting shotgun should be. Moroku have been producing quality products for over a century and sold in Australia since 1963. Each Moroku shotgun is crafted with precision, from the MK Trap and sporting models to the all-round best-selling field shotgun, the MK70. Visit morokushotguns.com.au for more details and stockists. Speaking about, I've got two things. What's your pre you know, shooting, as soon as you used to lift the gun up, put the rounds in, what do you generally think about? What's your go-to? Is it, Are you more of an instinctual shooter? Are you more thinking about something? You're visualising targets? What's your, your sort of pre-shooting thing? Is it the same or that doesn't really bother you? Gun up and just, you know, go for it. <laughs> um, so I've tried over the years, I think I've been shooting competitively now for nine years. Um, I've tried all sorts of different stuff. I've hit highs and lows in my in the career. Um, and I've found at the end of the day, the best thing for me personally is to just have absolutely nothing going through my head. Um, just have a completely blank mind and do exactly the same thing every time I'm out the gun. Like those people that'll watch me, they'll watch my right hand, it wipes my tail, then I grab my gun, I put it up, I close it, I hold it there for a second, then I mount it, I hold it there for two seconds, then I call pull. And if I do that every time, I'm pretty much guaranteed to hit the target. But... I'm a human being and my concentration span is not very good, so I don't do that every time. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, makes total sense. I mean, a lot of people do a lot of different things when it comes to, you know, pre-shooting rituals that I've got to do this, stand this way, you know, nod my head once, whatever it may be. A lot of different ideas. What about, let's talk about uh, gun selection. What are you, 
what are you shooting out there? Obviously, 12 gauge, but what's your go-to firearm shotgun of choice? Um, so for my clay target shooting, I use a DT-11 Black, um, so Beretta. Um, I think since day one I've used Beretta, they've all just always been good to me, always kept the services up. They look after you. Um, I haven't got a bad word to say about Beretta. If I've ever had a problem, they've looked after it for me. Um, not to say there's anything wrong with any of the other brands, Morocco, Parazzi, all those other big names. Um, but Beretta's just always worked for me, and they've always been there if I've needed them. What, what about practicing as well? I mean, do you get to practice? As you know, practice is pretty good. I mean, I hadn't shot one time there for, like, obviously shotgun for about 10 months, and I went with a friend that I've never shot before, and I said, well, I don't know how well I'm going to go, man. I haven't shot since, you know, I was sort of, you know, on the rice fields the year before here in New South Wales, and... Um, you know, but there wasn't even any ducks around at the time anyway. And so he goes, oh, we'll see how we go. And, mate, I think I first round, I whacked like 23 out of 25. Not bad considering sporting clays is, I think, pretty pretty difficult in some respects. And this sure. was a pretty difficult course. And then I whacked 24 on the next one. And the last one was 25 out of 25. And he goes... He goes, shit, man, you weren't. He goes, you weren't exaggerating when you said you're all right. I go, man, I haven't touched a shotgun for ten months. I mean, I haven't even pulled it out of the safe unless I wanted to, you know, throw a bit of, you know, inox or something on it to stop it from rusting and down the bore. You know, it's amazing how you can pick it up. But getting back to the question for you is, how often do you practice? Have you got any supporters or sponsors? And I mean, how often do you practice up there? Um, so in the lead up to the national titles this year, I was practicing at least once a week. Um, since then, my shooting has been, competitively anyway, has been pretty slow. Um, I've found if I don't practice a lot, I still compete very well. But for the overall shoot-offs, I tend to crumble. Um, I think the extra practice just helps me with my nerves. Um, yeah, I don't, don't know exactly what it is, but I've found if I have practice a lot, it can sometimes affect me because I get bored with it. <laughs> You know, yeah, going right. out and doing exactly the same thing every time, you know, it just gets a bit, oh, yeah, I'm sick of this. I need to have a bit of a break. But then again, you can't just go off too much because, as I said, I can compete well, but then come the overall shoot-off to be the winner, I can crumble in that if I haven't had my practice. It's interesting how that makes the difference between the really sort of good shooters and I guess people like me. <laughs> that, you know, like I might <laughs> shoot really well, I'm better, you know, than, than – you know, probably like probably now. I'd probably I reckon if I probably got back in, I'd probably shoot B for a bit of practice. I'd probably get to A, but yep. you know, it just depends. You know, there's a lot of people different pressure, and we're, obviously you're 20 now, so you're competing with obviously all age adults. Who's normally your competition? Is there any other good young shooters your age, or is it more you're shooting sort of that you know older generation of of, of guy or, or even girls? Um, so. Um, the female shooting has actually – there's quite a few young ladies getting into the shooting out here these days, which is fantastic to see. Um, and there's quite a few young ladies out here that are very, very good shots. Um, I've got a mate who's a year younger than me, I think, and we both pretty much started at the same time, and it's always been him and I neck and neck throughout our shooting career. Um, but at the moment, I suppose probably one of my biggest competitors would be my old man. Um, locally anyway, I suppose. Is he a pretty um, good shooter too? Yeah, he, both of us are double-A shooters. Nice. Um, and then, but then, of course, you go away and each club has their own quality shooters to compete against. It's interesting, eh? Where sometimes I pick up that shotgun. Jeez, I love shotguns. Are you like me? I just love that. Even though I love my rifles too and I'm really getting into that sort of longer-range shooting stuff and hunting, man, I just – something about shotguns that just, man, I love them. I don't know why. I don't know why. Oh, uh, I can't really say that I prefer either um, because both of them have their pros and cons. Um, shooting clay target, I feel a lot more comfortable because, of course, you can fit your um, shotgun to you, whereas your rifle, you know, it comes from factory. Unless it's adjustable, that's just how it is. You've got to learn to shoot it. Um, whereas your shotgun, you can change it each and every way until it fits you perfectly. And, uh, yeah, as I said, I can't really pick between the two, to be honest. Mm. I don't know. Something about the shotguns. And I've sold a few recently too. I've only got one at the moment. So I just don't like the feeling of having one shotgun in case it breaks down. So I might have to get another one. I don't know what I want to get yet. I don't know if I want to get a side-by-side or a... I don't really want to go the Turkish stuff, so to speak. But my mate actually bought one of those because he does a bit of hunting. One of the Dickinson. I think it's a T1000 Dickinson straight pull. But, and I, I was using it um, on his farm a couple of weeks ago. And, man, well, that wasn't too bad, but... 
I don't know. I'm not sure about the longevity of the of the Turkish stuff. Some people swear by them. Some go, don't touch them with a the ten foot pole. So it really just depends if you get a good one or a bad one. But I had a years ago I had a side by side, and I really enjoyed that too. Unfortunately, that was mechanically a uh, you know POS and and courtesy to Nia, they ended up you know after two repairs they ended up uh, giving me my money back on that, which then went to you know a Miracu model. I think it was a model seventy. Um, and you know, good bang, mm-hmm. for, good bang for your buck, shotgun as well. So for sure, yeah. No, but, if um, there's probably one gun that I had to pick that I really missed, it would be an old Boydo side by side that my dad had. It was a twenty uh, twenty inch, I think it was, and in twelve gauge, of course. And I used to take that thing everywhere I went when I went pegging, and I just loved it. I don't know what it was. It was the most most painful gun to use, kick the absolute living daylights out here, but. Yeah, there's just something about it. I think it was just fun to use, I think. Let's talk about some of the hunting stuff, the good juicy stuff as well. What, what, what's it, what, let's pick your number one animal to hunt. Bar none, best animal to hunt. Uh, pigs for sure. 100%, yeah? Yeah, yeah, no, no doubt. Um, just because I've been doing it for so long, the adrenaline rush that I get from it, it's just second to none really. Um, I couldn't pick. If there, was, if there was one thing I had to hunt for the rest of my life, pigs. It's it's interesting because even where I'm from, I mean, I've got to go fair, and I haven't sort of got access to properties far out west to get onto pigs and where I sort of go. And if I get, you know, I know a fair few people, so often when there's a hunting trip on, if I do have access to the couple of properties that I've got, they're not really keen on, you know, like 10 guys coming with So sometimes we've got to go to state forests and we camp and hunt and, and have a fire and it's, it's really awesome. But, you know, a lot of those places too sort of get hit by the, the doggers and that. So often it's mm-hmm. on, on, a, on a couple of forests that I go to, even just recently, a couple of trips, um, you know, a couple of the guys that I've been with have sort of been sitting and waiting for deer in certain good areas and they've come across some pigs and, you know, they've had a chance on them, but it might have been a bit too far, so they've missed. And I'm like, I've never even seen the bastards, you know. Like, they're so elusive because they can be on the side of the road just in some yep. thicket, and I'll never know because I don't have any dogs. So it's, mm-hmm. you know, I just – my point is I'm a loser that's never shot any pigs yet. So, <laughs> you know, And you're no, just seeing them every day, probably running past your front door. Oh, there's a pig. Bang. Okay, great, <laughs> you know. No, they're very um... – I suppose, underlooked animal, I suppose you could put it. Um, they're a lot smarter than a lot of people think they are. Um, yeah, and of course, with people hunting them with the dogs and that, they've got to get out of there a lot quicker than they would with someone hunting with a rifle. Um, so if they're under hunting pressure with dogs, it's, yeah, good luck getting them with a rifle unless they're out in the open. I know I see a lot of these bow hunting guys, you know, because they're obviously their eyesight like compared to deer is nowhere near as good. Like I've, I've even met a couple of guys like in state forest, for an example, down here and, you know, sort of we've had a chat and mate, some of those guys I even hunt with now, I've sort of made friends with them. And what happens is they were walking around and then because, you know, maybe they're walking down some game trails or along the road to get some, some game trails, they're making a lot of noise. And I'm like, dude, man, like, Hey, I, I've like walked up on deer and, made no noise at all i'm in like some pine or something there's pine needles and i'm making no noise moving moving one step every 20 seconds and all of a sudden they just go and they spin their head and they all just stare at you and i'm like man what am i doing so then i see a lot of these um bow hunters and shooters they want to get closer and i've seen them even walk up with like um there's another guy i follow on instagram too and he takes his you know, DSLR camera on his tripod and he's within like 10 metres of these like four or five pigs. He's got time to put up his tripod and his DSLR camera and film the video. And I'm like, man, this is crazy. You could never do that with deer. So they're smart. No. But I think their eyesight does them out of a lot of, you know, or gets them into a lot of trouble where the smell, well, that gets us into trouble all the time. Um, big thing with pigs I've found, especially out this way, is is if they win- they will wind you from two kilometres away, no worries at all. Yeah. Um, I've got some really big open crop country that I hunt with a few hills in it, and um, I've glassed them before with my scope, you know, way down in the paddock, and next thing the wind changes and blows in it from me to them, and you can just watch the nose go in the air and just watch them trot off. Um of course, they have a fair bit of hunting pressure from me, so as soon as they get the scent, they know exactly what's going on. Yeah. Uh, but hearing's another thing I've found. Um, they've actually gotten used to the sound of our vehicles, and we quite often find dust trails of where they've been um, before we've got anywhere near them. Yeah, right. So they're starting to understand the you know the sound of cars and diesel engines and 
It's, Pretty much. It's so interesting. Sometimes that's good and bad. I mean, when I go to forests too, sometimes if there's like pine, they're logging, uh, those types of things. Like, you know, animals are moving in and out. They get somewhat used to uh, that sound. And I've come over hills before, and because, you know, diesel engines sometimes is not very loud, you know, in the way it sounds, you come over a hill and I see the deer and they're like just staring at you going, oh, okay, shit, we better get out of here, you know. Um, and they just trot into the forest or they bolt across the road and – you know, but I guess unless they see you, sometimes they're used to it, you know, unless they see movement. Yeah. Um, well, as you're just saying, each each area is going to be different because there's some places that get very little vehicle activity. Um, but, yeah, sometimes I suppose having, the, having them used to vehicles might be a help, but I know the places that I hunt because as soon as they hear a vehicle, they're pretty much, they know they're going to be shot at or chased by dogs. As soon as they hear that noise, that's just it, then gone. Yeah, furry little bastards. You know, I love – I've got to get a pig one day, man, but let's talk about calibers. Go to, what do you enjoy shooting? Um, You know, I don't want to ask too many personal details in case people hear you know your sort of thing, but, you know, um, know, how many – what sort of guns do you own? You you know, you've got too many to even list, or what's the situation there? Um, Well, I guess you could say too many to list. Um, I don't know any other 20-year-old with the amount of firearms that I have. Um. But uh, as I've said, I'll repeat it again. It's just, it's what I love. It's what I do. So it's what I spend my money on. Um, recently, though, I've really taken a liking for the older model tickers and Seikos. Um, after selling my Seiko 85 270, I just recently acquired a L61R270. Um, love the caliber, just missed having it. So found an old one and bought it. Yep. Um, I think I think I own four ticker M55s, all in different calibers. Yeah. Right. Uh, Seiko A2 22250, um, 7mm08, 260, 308. Uh, yeah, I couldn't list them all, honestly. <laughs> What's your number one favourite calibre? Obviously, I'm hearing 270 a lot there. Um, honestly, the 7mm08. Yeah, I was a big fan of the. I used to have one um, probably four or five years ago. Ticker, it was Ticker T3 Light Blued. But um, yeah, it's, it's just sometimes I had trouble finding parts—not parts, but you know, brass—and it just got to be too difficult. So I switched it out to a three hundred eight. But you know, I, I don't—I don't regret it at all. People said, "Well, why did you sell it? You didn't like it." I said, "No, nah, I mean, I love that thing. I mean, you should have tried the one twenty grain V Max on goats, <laughs> oh, mate. You know, it was insane. Loved it. You know, loved every minute of it. But you know, yeah, it became difficult sometimes, even in Sydney, to get. You know, I probably could have really gone on the hunt hard, but. I just thought, oh, you know, maybe even the few, there's what, another seven mil oh eight in my future, but you know, mm-hmm. um, and you do your own reloading too. Tell us about that. I think you gave me the tip. I haven't tried any yet, but you're getting pretty pretty good results with the uh, spear projectiles. I know a lot of guys have taken your advice on that. I think, and a few comments on there and saying they're pretty good bang for buck uh, projectiles. Um, yeah, so probably a couple of years ago, spear sort of priced themselves out of the market, and they really. They weren't being seen anywhere. And then I think it was a year ago now, they brought their prices down dramatically. So I thought, well, I'll jump on the bandwagon and give them a go, see what they're like. And um, I haven't looked back since. Um, for my 7 mil 8 I use 130-grain soft-point bow tails for shooting pigs. Um, I don't think I've ever needed a second shot. Uh, also loaded 110-grain TNTs for the 7 mil 8 yet to shoot anything with them. Um, but a little projectile that Spear make that's really caught my eye lately is the 52-grain Varmint hollow point for the 22 cows. Um, ballistic coefficient is pretty shocking, so if you want to shoot a long way, don't look at them. Um, they're not worth it. But if you're shooting to one, two, 250 yards, um, really, really good. Um, I've used them on everything from rabbits up to pigs. Uh, as long as you don't want to keep the meat of the rabbit, they're fine. <laughs> um <laughs> And um, which surprisingly for a projectile that blows up like it does, I've also only ever needed one shot on all the pigs I've shot with it. Uh, um, so, yeah, so I've only ever needed the one shot with them. They, you know, headshots, of course, on a pig with the right calibre will do the job in the right spot. But um, a lot of shots just behind the shoulder, as long as you don't hit the pad, you'll get it in their vitals and it'll do the job just fine. Yeah. Actually, now that I remember it, I mean, you mentioned 260. Me and you were having a chat a long time ago, I think, were, about the yep. 260. Now I remember, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I love that thing, mm-hmm. man. 143 grain ELDXs. I mean, I was at a farm a couple of weeks ago and we we're trying to. 
you know, I didn't get, I didn't forgot my camera at home, but I was shooting, you know, like rabbits at, you know, I had only a couple of rabbits that I had to sort of, you know, do some trajectory validation with my um, Strelock Pro app. And then, yeah, I was, I was waxing them at five, 550, 565 with 143 grains. Like, man, I'm loving that thing at the moment. It's fantastic. Yeah, no, I love my 260. Um, a lot of people have gone 6.5 Creed more mad these days, but uh, you won't. I've got one. I shoot it. It's okay. Um, but my 260's got me heart and the 6.5 cals for sure. I know. Um, they're so good. The long bullets, ballistic coefficiency, with it, even with the ELDX. And I think I even saw the other day, it might have been, you know, uh, I won't sort of say the company or anything, just, you know, just. But they, they were selling, I think, some ELDMs for like crazy prices. People probably don't yes. know what they're talking about anyway, but, you know, crazy prices on, on ammo and stuff. Like I think the 140 grain ELD matches. And I know some of the guys that I talked to from out of South Africa that I've done a few interviews with, I mean, they're even, you know, shooting large game with the ELDMs and the ballistic results on those, are, they said, are fantastic. So, and cheap, man, $30, $40 a box for 100 I mean, that's crazy yeah, considering. I do remember seeing you know, that. Mm, I'm paying one. I'm paying, I think, I, I guess sort of you know mates rates through some guys and i'm still paying 70 or 68 67 dollars for 100 eldx's in the 143 grain yeah yeah i know how you feel so, um I mean, but when you want a rifle to shoot well and you're gonna you know you want it for that purpose you're gonna spend the money though exactly, aren't you exactly yeah and people say like if i'm thinking it depends on how much you shoot if someone was shooting and maybe you might agree like if you're on a farm and you know, you're shooting 100 ruse a night i mean you know running some really expensive projectiles unless you can afford it it's probably not probably counterproductive but but if you're shooting ruse and and rabbits and you know, 100 to 150 mate the spears i mean if they're shooting you know i mean what sort of groups are you get i can't recall i'm just looking on instagram now but you were getting what half inch three quarter inch under half an inch i think yeah i'm getting well under half inch with the right loads um i know my 222 rem shoots 0.240 inch at 100 with them Unbelievable. Um, mm. i mean at, at the end of the day as everyone knows each rifle will be different but um i've all three rifles i've put them through uh well under half inch with five shots too and what's it doing with the meat just not good um, like when you well, hit, the, hit the rabbits and that, not much left. Hit the rabbits and just yeah, tears them apart and just turns skulls to mush. Really, and I, I remember when I was telling my friend, he goes, he, I went like in the target of two four three two, and I was using the eighty seven grain Vmax, and I probably shouldn't have switched, but I ended up switching to um, the, the Sierra, the seventy grain, which are great too. But beyond about four hundred, they just start losing steam and they get a bit erratic out past that. But you know, I say if you're going to shoot certain types of rounds, if you're going to shoot like close, just use something a bit cheaper. It's not that big of a deal, but exactly. you know, it all depends yeah. on ballistic coefficiency. And if you're hunting a lot, I say like, and you're within 200 meters, use the cheap stuff if it works. Why spend mm-hmm. money on the expensive stuff? But if you're going to shoot long range and you're trying to get every inch and every centimeter out of that, you know, cartridge and that particular bullet at distance, you need a good ballistically, you know, coefficient bullet. But yeah, you know. Uh-huh. When we do try and stretch the legs a bit, we tend to pull out the 204 or the 17 Remington. Um, the 204 just, yeah, it's, I've all, I'll be honest, when it first came out up until probably the start of the year, I bagged it and bagged it and bagged it. Oh, no, a 223 with a 40-gram projectile will do the same thing. I stand corrected and no, it will not. The 204 is just absolutely amazing with a 40-gram projectile. Yeah. Um, the, the, yeah, the lack of drop that it has over 300 yards is just unreal like it's three inches i think at the most i'm, I'm tossing up between i'm tossing up between i want to get a big banger above the 260 so i'm thinking something that's not going to you know rip my arm off financially so i'm thinking maybe a 300 win mag or 300 wsm but on the lower end i've got a couple of options either and i don't think i'll probably shoot the barrel out of my 243 anytime soon so either re-barrel it to 250 because it's you know based on 308 case or yeah. you know buy a 204 something smaller because i do like the 70 grains out of the 243 and they're great but yep. you know yeah i just got some affinity to the the two twenty two two fifty or the 204 don't know yet so we'll find out if you do your research you'll actually find that the 204 with a 40 gram projectile will outperform the 22250 with a 55 gram projectile Mm, I've heard that. And a lot of guys, always a lot of, I won't say fights on the internet, but you know, a lot of spirited 
you know, discussions about, you know, the 204 and 250. And I've seen some, and that's getting back to my equipment when I'm filming it. I go, yeah, the 70 grains are good. Yeah, they, and I'm always out for accuracy and a clean kill. That's my number one priority. But I say, just with the Sierras, don't get me wrong, they're a fantastic bullet. I mean, I'm getting, you know, under about a quarter inch, even with the 260, just above a quarter inch at 100 mm. meters. And I'm like, you know, so I want a bit more. And he goes, what, when you sort of hit him, you want to be... I said, yeah, you know, when you're filming him, you know, I don't want to sound morbid, but I want a bit of power, you know, a bit, yeah. of, a bit of separation, a bit of, you know, a bit of... I must say, blah, I'm not like that at all, but, you know, just like bang, flop. I'm like, yeah, that's not really good when you're filming it. It's not really that enjoyable. No, when you skin, Yeah, when you skin him inside and out, I mean, it's, it's people go, wow, that's, that's something to look at. Yeah, 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 this is a great caliber. What are you shooting there, sir? And, you know, it's, it's no, great. Well, um, but, Last night I actually went out. Um, we were doing some reshooting for the box, and I had the twenty two two fifty with me in the two hundred four. And I think we had about twenty kilometer an hour winds, and I didn't even touch the twenty two two fifty. I just used the two hundred four all night. I think the longest shot I took was three hundred and fifty meters, and I missed one shot for the whole night, I believe. I wonder how it is in the wind compared to the 40s to the 55 grain and the 250. Because some people say, hey, if you've got the wind like the 17s and the HMRs or the 17 Hornets, if it's windy, forget about it. Are you seeing that or no? Um, in the 204, the wind really it hasn't been a problem to me yet. I've shot in some pretty windy conditions and, I, yeah, it's no different to the 250 in my opinion. That's yeah. just my personal experiences. Um, the 17 Remington is something that I believe is so overlooked in the wind. Um, yes, small projectile, I understand it will be affected, but yeah, some of the shots that I've done with it due to its extremely high velocity, even in that, like even in the high wind, it, you're definitely getting a lot more movement than a 204 or a 250, of course, but it, it's holding a lot truer than a lot of people put rumours out there about, I believe, anyway. Are you shooting the, the – what are you shooting out of the 204 and what are you seeing on expansion? Good results similar to 250 or no? Uh, well, we were loading 32-grain nozzle ballistic tips and 40-grain nozzle ballistic tips, um, but just recently we've started using the Fiocchi 40-grain VMAX. Well, you know, Fiocchi factory loads with the 40-grain VMAX yeah. and um, fantastic. Um, not so good on the pigs. I've found it's a little bit light on the pigs unless you're going to head shoot them. Um, but for small game, which is what most people would use a 204 for, um, not a problem at all. Really, really good. Do you reload for most of your stuff or not Not all your guns? Or um, I think I reload for every single one of my rifles. Yes. Yeah, I do. Yep. I, except for 223 at the moment just because bulk ammo is so cheap. Yeah, fantastic. Man, I know you've got to go soon, so I've got to finish off with a couple more questions. Mm-hmm. What, I was just thinking, so what about up north? What's the go in Roma, especially around, you know, a lot of issues farming up there. Is Bob Catter the sort of the go-to guy that you sort of vote for up there, or what's the what's generally the po- political issues hitting up there in North Queensland? Um, well, because I'm only 20, I haven't really needed to look into that sort of stuff so much, but I'm always keeping my eye out. I don't understand it all all that well yet. Um, Cat has got a pretty good support here throughout the community. Um, yeah, it's it's very divided up here, really, because um, there are so many people from out of town that live here now that are from the city. You know, they vote, vote Labor, they vote Liberal. Um, a lot of your farmers, they do stick to Catter or Pauline Hanson, people like that. Um, personally, I, I like Pauline Hanson's views. Um, I believe the way she speaks, maybe if she spoke a bit differently about her views, maybe worded it differently, she'd get better opinions. Um, but I like the way she's going. I, yeah, I just I like her opinions and views on things. It was interesting because I spoke to a lot of friends about this and I even had a bet during the last election with um, uh, Mark Latham got in here in New South Wales. I'm not sure how much you do know, but Mark Latham used to be the head of the Labor Party down here and he sort of lost he lost the election to John Howard many years ago when uh, for Prime Minister. So he left Labor, now he's with One Nation and I had a friend, quite a well known guy, and if I told you who it is, you'd know who it is, but he said um, he goes, Oh Mark Latham's not gonna get into New South Wales. I'm like, 
dude, it's almost guaranteed. Are you serious? And he goes, yeah, I'll put 1000 bucks on it. I thought, listen, I'm not going to take your money because I'd feel bad about it, you know? But I said, make it 100 bucks yes. Anyway, within an hour after the election, he's already like, mate, I've already got your bank details. He sent me the receipt on MMS text message saying, mate, I've just turned $100 into your bank account. And I said, mate, I said, you said I was an amateur in regards to politics. Well, mate, I knew this was a foregone conclusion. But, yeah, speaking of – but my main point was – when they were caught just probably, what, three, four, five months ago in regards to, you know, talking to the National Rifle Association, people were telling mm-hmm. me, oh, this is going to affect their votes. And I'm like, mate, it's not going to do a single bit of difference to the One Nation brand. Trust me. No, and, no, and, no. Inevitably, they got many, many more votes than they did last time. So, yep. you know, I keep telling these people and they just don't seem to listen to me. But anyway, that's uh, part of it. But, um, mate, to finish off, I'd like to, before you got to go, just a story, man, tell me, um, a bit of a story, something you can think about, you know, maybe you know, it could be a clay target thing or, or, a, or you're out hunting and you, something awesome happened or funny or whatever it may be, man. But I want to feel like I'm there to enjoy it So as we finish off the show. Alrighty, so probably one of my most favourable hunting memories I've ever had. I went out to Charleville quite a few years ago now with my old man and a few of the family. And um, – we had, I believe he had his, yeah, it was his 338 wind mag he had with him at the time. And all weekend, all we wanted was a goat. We just wanted to find a big billy goat to get. Last day of the trip, we're driving along this old beaten dirt track and a big white billy goat steps out. What you beauty, here we go. Anyway, as soon as we pulled up, he darts into the bush. So Dad walked up the road a bit with his 338 and looked in and we could see him looking. He put the rifle up and we thought, oh, I might be able to see it. And next thing, boom, we thought, oh, yep, you beauty, he's got it. And he goes, I don't know if I could see it. I could only see a bit of white, so I pulled the trigger. And we walk over there, and the four-inch box tree in front of him had been cut down. He'd been hit in the backside. It had come out his throat, and then it also went through the four-inch box tree behind him. Oh, wow. The old 338. The Acubons, too. Yeah, they're not mucking around, that's for sure. No, if there's any hunting memory that'll stick with me, that's going to be one because it was just awesome. And he was a very big billy. Mm, unbelievable, man. Yeah, that's good, man. Oh, but to finish off, man, any, I guess, last piece of advice or do you, you want to give any other hunters, shooters uh, or fishers or any bit of advice that you'd like to impart on them if they're wanting to get into the sport or just anything, man? Um, probably if you ever, oh, if you ever got any questions, don't feel bad to go and ask a fellow hunter about it you know always everyone's generally happy to help each other out in this community um you better to ask, especially when it comes to reloading you better to ask than be sorry later on because you've messed up um and if you're thinking about giving you know any competitive shooting a go go for it i'm guarantee you'll enjoy yourself the people in the sport are just they're amazing they're really good mates they are um but yeah no that's about it and it's amazing what you learn, isn't it, too? Like, I mean, even probably you now, what, you know, I liked or what I had in firearms and scopes, say, you know, four, five, six, ten years ago was not what I have now. And, you know, you learn through sometimes through doing, you know. I remember when I first – I've said this about a hundred times on the show. People are going to be sick of me saying it. But, you know, when I had the seven mil, I thought, oh, great, you know, I'm going to be hunting thick country and I'm going to get this bushnell. You know, what was it? I think it was a five and a half to 25 by 50. And I thought this thing's – when I went hunting with it, I thought, geez, this thing's a telescope. You know, what, yeah, yep. what was I doing, you know? Like, but this guy said, oh, yeah, okay, that's a good idea. And I go, really? Like, you know, and then I just thought, you know, sold that, put a good 3 to 9 by 40, 3 to 9 by 50, whatever you want. You know, it, it all depends on what terrain you're hunting. And it's different areas, your North Queensland or up in Queensland, sorry, southern sort of Queensland, western Queensland. And, you know, it just depends, you know, where, what you're hunting and, and – you know, getting advice and, and thinking about what you're going to be doing for the places that you're going to hunt. But, you know, I don't know what I was thinking there. I had a bit of a brain fart. And when I first turned up, I was like, wow, man, this thing could be, you know, I could see the moon with this thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, when I first bought my first few firearms, I sort of just went for the stuff that looked cool. That was the biggest and dearest thing on the shelf. Yeah, yeah. And then since then, I've, you know, learned my lesson and I buy what's practical now. I know. My mate's got a 300 Wim mag. And when he went on the last trip, 
right? He, he, nice gun. I think it's a Browning of, of, of some description. Nice 300 wind mag. And he goes, oh, I bought this scope for it like two years ago. But he goes, on like last light, he goes, like, it's no good. So I'm looking at it. It's just some cheap, rubbish $300 tactical scope, you know, three and a half or four to four to 24 by 50 or whatever it was. And when I zoomed into like about 18, I thought, man, I can't even see anything in full light at 12 o'clock in the afternoon. Like, this thing's just a potato, you know? Like, just best thing you can do is take this off, put it on the ground, and then start bashing it with, you know, with a, with <laughs> yeah. a, you know, a shovel because that's all it is. He goes, oh, no, I'll keep it. Anyway, I ended up getting him onto, I think he just bought a 4 to 12 Meopter or something, Meo. He goes, oh, mate, it's worlds apart. I said, welcome to Quat. I don't have a Meopter, but I know people say good things about him, but yeah. welcome, welcome to some, you know, a good, you know, decent mid range scope, sir. You know, welcome to the crew, you know? Exactly. Yep. That's yeah, it's, right. It's funny, yeah. Like, and he goes, "Oh, I said, mate. Oh, the tax. I said, mate, those turrets wouldn't even be repeatable. Like, I wouldn't bother if you're going to try and shoot long range. And expect it to go back to zero. It's an un- unknown, no name brand. Come on. But anyway, yeah, man. Anyway, uh, Brody uh, Hewitt joins me here on Australian Hunting Podcast to talk about you know hunting, shooting, living up in Queensland, what he likes to hunt and shoot. So, mate, I want to thank you for coming on the show. And, uh, mate, we've just cruised through almost an hour worth of podcast. So, it's fantastic. Thanks for joining me on the show. I really do appreciate it. Yes, no worries. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to an episode of the Australian Hunting Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. See you next time. 